Last week, we began a new series entitled Summer Baggage. Summer Baggage. And uh, last week, we looked at... Let me just take that super quick. Uh, at the end of the service, um, or at, last week, we looked at the baggage of bitterness. And we talked about how that people oftentimes carry bitterness around. It's, it's like baggage on their soul. It's like, it's like something that, that they have been unwilling to forgive or someone that they've been unwilling to forgive and those seeds of unforgiveness turn into bitterness and it really affects them negatively and affects their attitude and it affects everything about them in, in, in some way. And, and um, uh, we, at the end of the service, we asked uh, anyone that would like to come forward and write down the baggage they carry, whether it was bitterness or something else, to write it down on a piece of paper and drop it into the baggage and drop it into the luggage that was placed here on, uh, on, the, on the stage. And on Tuesday morning, I went through... Uh, the, I asked you not to put your name on it, no identifying uh, marks or remarks, uh, so I did, would not know uh, who shared what. And um, I went through the baggage, and I prayed over every uh, need that you wrote down. Um, and although I don't know who wrote what, God does. And I hope that your load has been a little lighter this week. And I hope that your load will be a little lighter next week or this week, beginning of a new week. And uh, I also want to thank you for being vulnerable, and for being transparent. There were some very uh, enlightening things that were written down, things that I had no idea that people in our congregation were carrying that weight. And at the end of the service today, we're going to give you the opportunity to do the same thing. It might be the same thing you wrote last week. It might be something new. It might be something that the Holy Spirit speaks to you about in this service. Uh, it might be something that He's been speaking to you about all along. But baggage, what is baggage? When we talk about baggage in this context, we're talking about the invisible burdens that people carry on their journey. The things that weigh us down day after day. And because these burdens are invisible, we have no idea sometimes that people are carrying this baggage. We have no idea that people are lugging these things around. And, and we all have it to some degree or another. We all have baggage in our, of, our, of our past and in our life. And so uh, it's, it's really interesting to understand that these invisible burdens can, can really weigh us down. They can really uh, keep us from having the joy of the Lord that, that He wants us to experience. Uh, they, they can weigh us down in our relationships. They can cause division in our relationships. They can cause problems uh, among our families, among our churches. And, uh, and one of the reoccurring themes that I noticed as I read these pieces of paper last week was the theme of guilt. There were several people who wrote down guilt. And, and I don't know what they meant by that. I, I don't know what you meant. If you wrote that down, I don't know what you meant by that. I don't know if you meant that, that there's something that you know you're guilty of, that you need to confess and repent, uh, or maybe it's something that you feel inadequate about. Maybe, maybe uh, you feel guilty because things haven't turned out like you thought they would. Things haven't turned out like you thought they should. And, and you think in your mind, well, if I'd have been a better wife, or if I'd have been a better mom, or if I'd have been a better dad, or if I would have been a better husband, then things wouldn't have turned out this way. And you're carrying around that false guilt, thinking that you can somehow control somebody else's free will choices when you can't. But the enemy has convinced you that you have to carry around this guilt because if you'd have been better or done more or done better, then they would have made better choices. And now you have that albatross of guilt hanging around your neck day after day after day when it really shouldn't be there. Or maybe it's something from your past. You've confessed it and you've forsaken it and it's over and done with. 
But the enemy keeps bringing it back to your mind day after day after day after day, and you struggle with those feelings of guilt. What do we mean by guilt? Well, I decided to look up our English word guilt because when you do a, a, a concordance search on the word guilt in Scripture, you don't find a whole lot. Uh, but I wanted to know what typically do people mean in the English language when they talk about guilt, and I found some interesting definitions. Merriam-Webster uh, said that it's feelings of deserving blame, especially from imagined offenses or from a sense of inadequacy. Isn't that interesting? A feeling of deserving blame for offenses. Now, this is the one I struggle with. The feeling of inadequacy. The feeling of, I wish I'd have been a better dad. I wish I'd have been a better husband. I wish I was a better pastor. I wish I was a better preacher. You know, the feelings of inadequacy and feeling as if, if I were better in that regard, then things would be different or things would be better or the outcome would be better. I really struggle with this feeling of deserving blame for a sense, from a sense of inadequacy. I don't know if anybody else can relate to that. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. This is one of the big ones I struggle with. Dictionary.com puts it this way. A feeling of responsibility or remorse for some offense, crime, wrong, etc., whether real or imagined. There's that word again. Isn't that interesting? Maybe we've done something wrong, and we have to deal with our conscience. And if we're believers, we also have to deal with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And there are some things that we should feel responsible for, that we should feel remorse for. But the definition says whether real or imagined. As I said, there's a lot of people carrying around the baggage of guilt, not because they did something wrong, but because the enemy has lied to them and convinced them that they are guilty even though they may not be guilty of that particular thing. Now, we're all guilty of something, certainly. We know that. But there, there are people that are victims of abuse that have believed that somehow they are responsible for that abuse. That somehow they deserved it. That if they were a better little girl or a better little boy, their parents wouldn't have done that to them. Or their uncle wouldn't have done that to them. Or their friend wouldn't have done that to them. And they live with the guilt of something that somebody did to them even though it was not their fault and they were not responsible, yet the enemy gets into their mind. And remember, he is the father of what? Lies. The father of lies. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. For the life, Jesus is truth. Satan is a liar and the father of it. I guarantee you, there are people in this room today that have been used and abused by someone else, and you either believe now or you have believed in the past that somehow you deserved it and or was the cause of it, and you're carrying around the invisible burden of guilt that was never meant for you to carry. Cambridge Dictionary says that guilt can be defined as a feeling of worry or unhappiness that you have because you have done something wrong. Guilt can be a very painful, emotional experience that when we believe we had violated a moral or personal standard or we have let someone down, oftentimes we feel feelings of guilt. I don't know which one of those uh, definitions that maybe you resonate with. I think the baggage of guilt is probably a combination of all of those definitions in some way or form. The fact of the matter is, yes, we have all sinned. We have all let someone down. We have all been responsible for someone else's pain. We have committed crimes against our Creator. In one sense, yes, we're all guilty. The good news is for the Christian, we don't have to carry that guilt around anymore. I want to show you a little illustration that hopefully will help you better understand what we're trying to say today. Hey, Kat. Jesus. Oh, it's been a long time. Yeah, um, I didn't expect to see you here. Whoa, what's that smell? That smell? Oh, um, well, 
That's my trash. I just, I'm a little embarrassed about it. Oh, well, is that why you've been avoiding me? Avoiding you? I, I, I haven't really been avoiding you. I just, you know, I don't, I don't want to get close to you. I mean, I, I just, I don't want you to smell it. I'll take it, Kat. Come oh, on. Oh, no, 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 no. That's okay. I mean, I made it. It's my trash. You know, I should carry it. It's, it's okay. Yeah, but Kat, I mean, this is my job. Right. I take people's trash. That's what I do, so. Right. Okay. Well, maybe I could go and just clean it up a little bit, you know, and then I'll just, I'll come back. No, Kat, I don't need you to do that. Um. Okay. I'll take it from you so you don't have to carry the weight. Oh, well, I. Come on. Uh, uh, just, just hand it over. Uh, All right. Okay. Let go. Let go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How's that feel? Weird. Wow. That is crazy. Yeah, just loosen it up a Whoa, little bit. Check that out. I don't know if I've ever moved like that before. Well, I mean, that is crazy. I just, I feel so free and alive. I, it's I mean, the lack of trash. Wow. It's just like, this is the craziest feeling I have ever had. I just, it's like something's missing, you know? Well, I just, Get um, used I, to feeling free, because that's yeah. what you are now. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, what okay. are you doing? I just, I gotta get one thing, okay? Hold on just a minute. Get here. one thing? No, 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 don't open the bag! Jesus, thank you so much for your sacrifice. I really appreciate all that you've done for me. What's going on here, Kat? What? Look, I'll take the trash, but you need to put that back. Oh, um, no, actually, um, that's okay. This is mine. It's my piece. I want to keep it. No, it goes right back in the bag, so I'll help you. Here, no, 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 put no, it no. here. No, Jesus, I, I need to remind myself not to make more trash. I mean, that just Kathleen, makes sense. I will remind you not to make more trash. Oh, okay? well, Jesus, you know. That's what I do. I mean, we'll walk together. I know, but I should be in a better place than this by now. I mean, I just, I'm constantly doing things wrong, you know, and I, I'm just, I'm constantly letting you down. No, the only thing that's letting me down is, is, is you taking the stuff back. Okay. Look, I took care of the trash before you even created it. Oh. Look, don't you see what's happening? Every time I take your trash away, you come back and, and take another piece. And the more pieces you carry around, the more trash you attract. It reeks. Cat. When I look at you, I don't see your sin. I see you. The real you, the free you. This is what I'm fighting for. This is what I died for. Jesus, I'm sorry. I just, please forgive me. I've already forgiven you. The question is, will you forgive yourself? Can you relate to that video? I can. I've been there. Let's talk about guilt this morning. Guilt can be a blessing or it can be baggage. Guilt can lead to repentance and freedom. I asked you a moment ago to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. You may remember that the Apostle Paul had written to the church at Corinth on a previous occasion to address several issues that the church was having. His letter chastised them for some of their actions and some of their inaction. And after writing this letter, he found out that some in the church were made to grieve. Now you remember our definition, our English definition of the word guilt, and it often is related to and associated with grieving, a feeling of sadness, a feeling of remorse. And Paul said that when he wrote the letter, some of the Christians in Corinth were grieving. They felt remorse about what they had done. Notice what he tells them in verse number 8. He says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. See, the Corinthians were guilty of not only putting up with sin in the church, but excusing it. When Paul had to address this problem, it led them to grieve over their guilt. So what I did is I looked up the Greek translation of the word grieve that's used in this verse, and guess what it means? It means to be sorrowful, pain, distressed, and to feel very sad. It's very similar to the English word that we use for guilt. Paul wants them to know that he does not regret confronting them 
because it led to grief. Why is that the case? Well, look at verse number 9. He says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but, it's very important, because you were grieved into repenting. These feelings of remorse, these feelings of sadness, this feeling, if you will, of guilt had led them to do what? Had led them to repent. He said, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. There is a godly grief and there is a worldly grief. There is a godly guilt, if you will, and there is a worldly guilt. There is a guilt or grief that leads us closer to God and that leads us to come to God and says, God, I have sinned. I have done wrong. I need your forgiveness. And there is a guilt that leads us to run from God. And we're going to explore that a little bit more in more detail here in just a moment. Their grief did not lead to despair but it led to repentance. Their guilt did not lead to more bondage, but it led to freedom. Their guilt was at baggage that weighed them down, but it led them to acknowledge their sin and it set them free. Paul said he rejoiced over their grief. Not because they felt guilt, but because their guilt led them to find forgiveness and restoration in Christ. They were grieved into repenting. And God wants to use the guilt that we feel over things that we have done wrong to drive us to Him. He wants us to use, uh, he wants to use guilt and conviction positively, not negatively. I, I, use, I think of the illustration of pain. I don't like pain. Do you like pain? I don't think any of us like pain. But did you know that pain can be a blessing? Pain is your body's way of saying something is wrong. Imagine being a leper in biblical days. One of the things that they lost in their extremities was pain. And they would burn themselves, they would cut themselves, they would have all kinds of things happen to them, and they had no idea that their foot was gashed open because they couldn't feel pain. And so they would continue to walk on that foot and all kinds of junk would get in that wound and it would lead to infection and it would lead to them having to have parts of their bodies amputated. Why? Because pain was not telling them something is wrong. Imagine, anybody here ever had appendicitis? Anybody? Nobody. Nobody here has had appendicitis. Wow. That's amazing. Well, I've known people that's had appendicitis. And from what I have have been told, it can be a very, very painful thing. You know what that is? That's your body saying, something is wrong. This is getting ready to rupture. If it ruptures, the infection could travel throughout your body. Aren't you thankful for pain that says something is wrong? That's the way God designed guilt to be. God designed guilt to be like pain. It says something is wrong. And it should lead us to the great physician who can address what is wrong so that we can be free of the pain. Wouldn't it be somewhat crazy for us to be having the pain of appendicitis and instead of going to a medical professional who could help us and diagnose the problem, and address the problem, and if necessary, take out the infected tissue for us to run and hide somewhere, for us to just keep taking, you know, pain reliever, hoping that it'll go away. And it doesn't go away, and it gets worse, and the infection spreads throughout our body, and what does it lead to? It could lead to death. I mean, people have died as a result of appendicitis. So guilt... Godly guilt, godly grief is kind of like pain. It, it's, it's, it's our way, God's way of saying something is wrong. I am the great physician. Come to me. Let me diagnose the problem. Let me deal with the problem. Let me erase the problem so you can be free of that pain. 
And so we often don't think of pain as a gift, but it can be a gift. It can be a gift. It lets us know something is wrong. It may not be an enjoyable gift, right? I mean, nobody enjoys pain, I don't think, but we would be far worse without it. We'd be far worse without it. The pain drives us to medical attention so the problem can hopefully be corrected. And that's what godly guilt and godly grief are designed to do. It's God's way of saying something is wrong. Get to the great physician, the Lord Jesus. Confess, forsake our sin. Believe and trust in Him that the problem has been remedied. 1 John 1.9 reminds us of this truth. That if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I want you to look at that verse on your screen for just a moment, and I want you to let that sink in and apply it to your life. God's given me pain. He's given me conviction. He's made me feel guilt over something that I've done wrong. And rather than running from God, rather than trying to hide from God, I need to go to God. I need to agree with God. Yes, God, this is wrong. This is not right in my life. I confess it to you. I agree with you that it is wrong. I'm confessing my sin. And God says when we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us. We've got to believe that. We've got to trust God at His Word. You say, but I still feel guilty. Listen, feelings are wonderful, but feelings are flawed. Feelings have been affected by the fall. And sometimes our feeling and what God says is true do not match up. If we have confessed our sin to God and we have forsaken our sin, God promises us that He has forgiven us no matter how we feel. So we have to trust God at His Word. We have to believe that He's forgiven us and that He's cleansed us from all unrighteousness. But just as guilt can lead to forgiveness, guilt can also lead to despair and ruin. Let's keep reading in our text. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas, so he's making a contrast here, between godly grief and what he refers to as worldly grief. And he says worldly grief produces what? Death. Godly grief produces salvation that leads to no regret. When you get to heaven, you are not going to regret being a child of God, receiving the gift of eternal life uh, in Christ Jesus. But worldly grief leads to death. And so my wife and I had the conversation this week. What is worldly grief? What is worldly grief? So, well, it's the grief of the world. <laughs> what is worldly grief? It's the grief of the world. It's still sorrow and pain that people feel, but they choose to deal with this sorrow and pain in either an unhealthy or an unbiblical way. As a result, this sorrow and pain does not lead them to run to the arms of Jesus, the great physician, but rather it leads them to run elsewhere. It might lead them to run to a home remedy instead of the great physician. It might lead them to run to a quack instead of the great physician. It might lead them to run to something else or someone else instead of the great physician. It may lead them to run and hide like Adam and Eve ran and hid. Remember in the garden? When they took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And the Bible says that their eyes were open and they realized that they were naked. What did they feel? They felt shame. They felt sorrow. They felt something they had never felt before. And what did that lead them to do? Did that lead them to immediately go to God and say, God, you were right, we're sorry, please forgive me. We, we partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You told us not to, but we did it anyway. Absolutely not. It led them to cover themselves with fig leaves, and it led them to try to hide from God. 
didn't lead them to run to the great physician. It was worldly grief. It was worldly grief that led them to run and hide. Can I tell you something? Running and hiding does not take away guilt. Running and hiding often does not take away the feelings of guilt, but often it leads the guilt to be compounded. It leads, those, it leads to those feelings feeling even greater, feeling even heavier. Running and hiding from God never solves the guilt problem. And it doesn't solve the guilty problem either. All it does is move people further away from the solution to guilt. And that's God Himself. Guilt may lead you to cover up your sin like David did. Remember what David did, right? David was a king at this time, and he should have been at battle, but he was not. And instead, he found himself standing on the roof of his housetop, and as he was gazing over the community there by him, he saw a woman on the top of her house bathing. And instead of going back into his chambers and seeking to forget what he had seen, he decided he would continue to stand there and continue to gaze and continue to think about what the possibilities could be. And eventually, he had this woman to come into his home and had sexual relationships with her. And it wasn't long after that that he found out that she was expecting a baby. There were a couple of big problems. One problem was that this woman was married. And her husband was out on the battlefield where David should have been. Another problem was, obviously... Everybody's going to know the baby's not the husband's because he's out on the battlefield. Can't be his. So how are we going to cover this up? So David comes up with this scheme. David comes up with this plan to bring her husband home for a little rest and relaxation, thinking that, you know, he's been away from his wife for a while. Things, you know, they'll have a wonderful time together, and then everybody will just assume that the baby is Uriah's. That was her husband's name. Problem was, Uriah didn't follow the game plan. Uriah said, I can't go and enjoy a nice evening with my wife while all of my buddies are still out on the battlefield. And so he decides to sleep outside of David's house to protect the king. David said, my little cover-up scheme didn't work, so I'll try another cover-up scheme. And so he got one of his generals to send Uriah back out into the battle and put him on the front lines of the battle where the fighting was the fiercest, believing and hoping that Uriah would get killed, so he then could have Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, for himself. That's exactly what happened. But David had a bigger problem. The bigger problem was God knew what happened. And after a few months, God sent a man by the name of Nathan to confront David about his sin. Nathan told David a little story about a man who had one sheep. A man who loved the sheep. A man, it was his pet. It was, it was a sheep that, you know, it was like a pot-bellied pig of the day. I mean, it just came in and out of the man's house, and the man had it as his pet. He loved the sheep. He took care of the sheep. He, he fed the sheep. And another man in the community had... All kinds of sheep. He had as many sheep as he could want. More sheep than he could count. And he's got his friends coming into town for a feast. And instead of taking one of his sheep out of his pasture and killing it and dressing it and feeding it to his family, he goes and steals the other man's sheep that only had one sheep. He kills it. Feeds it to his family. David is irate. David is mad. David is angry. He said, this man should be punished. He, he stole this man's one sheep. And then Nathan, I, can't, I can only picture it in my mind, took his finger and said, David, you're the man. You're the one I'm talking about. You could have had any woman in the kingdom you wanted, yet you chose to steal this man's wife and then tried to cover it up by having him murdered. Can I tell you something? 
Trying to cover up your guilt doesn't take it away. Trying to cover up your sin doesn't take it away. It only adds to the guilt. David did not reduce his guilt. He compounded his guilt. Because when you cover up sin, guess what you have to do to cover it up? You have to sin more. And you have to cover up that lie by telling another lie. And cover up that lie by telling another lie. And all you're doing is just compounding your guilt. That is what worldly grief does. Leads to death. When we choose to deal with our guilt by running or hiding, we're only compounding our guilt and misery. Solomon put it this way in Proverbs 28.13, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. One of the things that I'm so thankful about when people wrote things down on this pieces of paper this past week is they confessed some of their sin. It wasn't just about, oh, I'm carrying this baggage of you know, feeling bad or, or bitterness. No, people named their sin. People said, I am guilty of this sin. And that is one of the first steps in you being free from the baggage of guilt is when you name your sin, you come clean with God. God says, I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Worldly grief. The world doesn't understand and realize the God. This is the mentality. I think this is a good uh, modern day illustration of the difference between worldly grief and godly grief. Worldly grief says, I messed up. My father's going to kill me. Godly grief says, I messed up. I need to go talk to my father. Huge difference. Worldly grief says, I messed up. I've got to hide. I've got to cover it up. I can't let anybody find out. I've got to live a double life. I've got to put on a mask. Godly grief says, no. I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of covering it up. I'm tired of trying homemade remedies. I'm tired of going to this answer and that answer. I am going to go to the great physician who can bind up my wounds, who can heal my heart, who can heal my soul. Worldly grief says, I've messed up. My father's going to kill me. Godly grief says, I messed up. I need to go talk to my father. Maybe your earthly father or your earthly mother put that mentality in your mind. That when you mess up, don't come to me. God says, I want you to come to me. Because I'm the only one that can get you out of this mess. You try to get out of this mess by yourself, you're going to just make a bigger mess. A bigger mess. We talked Wednesday night about Peter and Judas. The night before Jesus' crucifixion, both Peter and Judas betrayed the Lord. Judas betrayed Jesus for, uh, with a kiss for 30 pieces of silver. After thinking about what he had done, he went back to the religious leaders, returned the money, and killed himself. Worldly grief. But Peter... He also betrayed the Lord. He ran after Jesus was arrested. He was confronted about three different times about his ties to Jesus, and each time he boldly proclaimed that he didn't even know who Jesus was. At one time, he flung curses and stated, I do not know the man. Then the rooster crowed. He locked eyes with Jesus, and the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. A few days later, he and Jesus met on the seashore and became one of the most bold witnesses the world has ever known because godly grief led Peter to repentance. Both of these men did something terrible, but the outcome was far different. The question that we must answer today is how about us? Are you going to allow worldly grief to continually drive a wedge between you and God? Are you going to allow worldly grief to continue weighing you down? Or will you repent of your sin? Will you turn to God for forgiveness? Will you trust Him to remove it 
and go forward with your life, your load a little lighter because you have been a recipient of God's forgiveness and grace and mercy. You say, Pastor Darrell, that, that all sounds great. That all sounds well and good, but I don't feel any different. I don't feel any better. Let's talk a little bit about releasing the baggage of guilt. Number one, we need to understand that Jesus has already carried our baggage to the cross. Jesus has already carried our baggage to the cross. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, in chapter 53, Isaiah says these words. Now think about it. Think about this carefully. We're talking about baggage. We're talking about the invisible burdens that weigh us down. What does it say about the Messiah? Surely He has borne, read the next two words, our griefs. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Jesus has borne. He has carried. He has taken the weight of our grief, our guilt upon Himself. He carried our sorrow. He has taken our baggage, our bitterness, our sin, our guilt. He put it on His shoulders. He took it to the cross and He paid the price so you could be free from those Shackles. Aren't we a lot like the woman in the video? Carrying our trash around. Carrying the guilt of our past around. Carrying the bitterness around. The unforgiveness around. Our addictions around. We allow the stench of that keep us from getting closer to the great physician. We don't want Him to smell it. We don't want Him to see it. We don't want Him to know about it. He already does. And what does He do? Does He run the other direction? Absolutely not. He stands there with open arms and says, Come unto Me. Come unto Me. Isaiah would go on to say, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And notice, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All this stuff was laid on him. And he died on the cross that day. He was dying in your place. He was taking the wrath of God that my sins and yours had earned. He has borne our iniquity. He has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Look at verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise Him. He has put Him to what? To grief. He has put Him to grief. And when His soul made an offering for guilt, whose guilt? His? Absolutely not. He had no guilt. Whose guilt did he make an offering for? Whose? Ours. That's exactly right. When we look in the mirror, we are seeing the one that Jesus died for. He took our sin. He made an offering for our guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Why would we want to continue to carry the guilt that he's already paid for? Why would we want to continue to carry the iniquity that he's already set us free from? Because we've allowed the father of lies to deceive us. To warp our thinking. To tell us lies about God. When we think like that lady did in the video, we've got to hold on to a little bit of it. We've got to fix it. We've got to clean it up. 
We can't clean it up. The blood of Jesus can clean it up. The blood of Jesus can clean it up. The red blood of Jesus can make our iniquities. The Bible said, though they were red like crimson, they shall be white as snow. What a beautiful picture. The prophet would say, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. If you know Jesus today as your Lord and Savior, you can say, regardless of the guilt that you have carried in your past, regardless of the sins that you have committed, you can say by the blood of Jesus and by the grace of God, I am righteous in the sight of my Creator, of my Redeemer. No longer the person I was. I may not be all that I ought to be, but praise God, I'm not who I used to be. And He shall, there it is again, He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide Him a portion with the many, and He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because He poured out His soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He was numbered with the guilty. And He bore the sin of many. and makes intercession. He makes intercession for the transgressor. He's our go-between. He's the one. He, he's the one that stands between us and a holy God. He's the one that makes us righteous. He's the one that washes away our sin. He's the one that gives us an opportunity to know Christ as our own personal Lord and Savior. And we don't have to carry the baggage of guilt anymore. Because He's taken it to the cross. He's paid the price. The sacrifice has been made, and today we can be set free. Something else you need to understand that I need to understand and be reminded of often, in Christ we are free, we are not condemned. Romans chapter 8, write these verses down, the reference, look at them later today. But Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. God did what your home remedies could not do. God did what religion could not do. God did what no pastor or priest or prophet or uh, a false messiah could ever do. God did what the law could not do. How did He do it? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Someone said, every saint has a past, and every sinner can have a future. We all have a past. We all have a past. And we can try to pretty it up all we want. But listen, you put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. Our past is like a pig. It's like that bag of trash. We've all got it. And we can try to pretty it up. And we can try to call it all kinds of wonderful names. And we can try to put lipstick on it. But it's still what it is. It's sin. It's filthy rags. I'm glad God pulls off those filthy rags. It says, i got a robe of righteousness that's been washed in the blood of the Lamb that I want to embrace you in. I want to embrace you. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. But according to Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation is there? None. Zero. No condemnation. And if God has wiped our guilt away, why do we keep packing it back up? 
Why do we keep taking it on our journey? Why do we keep believing the lie of the enemy? Why? Because he's really good at what he does. And we're far more gullible than we'd like to admit. Oh, I'm so thankful that he's wiped my guilt away. Are you in Christ this morning? Are you in Christ? I'm not asking you if you're in church. I'm not asking you if you're in your Sunday best. I'm asking you, are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, your guilt is gone. Leave it. Receive it. And then go live it. If you're not in Christ, there's still room. There's room at the cross for you. And none of your home remedies, none of your rituals, none of anything this world tells you to rid yourself of guilt will ever work. It will just make it greater. It will just compound it with interest. Today can be set free of the debt of guilt. Can be set free. And if you are set free, that doesn't mean that maybe you don't need help to stop believing the lies of the enemy. You may need to get counsel. You may need to surround yourself with godly people who will tell you the truth. And you definitely need to get into the Word and let the Word transform your life and your mind. Our minds need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Well, listen, the devil's not going to stop whispering lies into your ear until you're in heaven. He is a liar and the father of Oh, think about this verse. Think about it with me. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. You're carrying around that bag of trash. You're carrying around the guilt. You're carrying around the bitterness. You're carrying around all these things that are weighing you down. He said, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Listen, we all are carrying a yoke. Jesus says we take His yoke. It's not that we get rid of a yoke. It's we trade our yoke for His. We trade the worldly yoke for His. When we yoke up with Him, He's the one that pulls the load, not us. That's why he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find what? Rest for your soul. You might find rest for your body at the mattress store. <laughs> but you're not going to find rest for your soul from Jesus. For my yoke is easy and my burden. I came across this picture yesterday. Put it up on the screen. I don't know the or origin of this picture, and you may not be able to see it very clearly from where you're seated, but it's a picture of a mother holding a baby in her hand, and she's weighed over. And on her back, you see a washing machine. You see an iron and an ironing board. And you see all these other things that so many single mothers are carrying by themselves. The weight, the burdens come with motherhood, especially for that mom who's carrying it all by herself. Literally, the weight of the world is on her shoulders thought about that picture. And I said there's certainly more than one application to this picture. 
Because this picture probably represents some people in the church. You're carrying the weight of your guilt. You're carrying the weight of bitterness. You're carrying the weight of your past. And you're shaking. Just like last week, on the outside, you look like this beautiful bright blue, blue, bright blue suit. But on the inside, these invisible burdens, no one sees. That's what you look like. Jesus says, I want to take those burdens of guilt, those burdens of bitterness off your shoulders. My shoulders, he, he says, are wide enough and big enough for you. Take your guilt. He already has. He already has. He's already taken our guilt and our shame and our wounds to Calvary, and there is healing in His name. If you are not in Christ today, we want you to be in Christ. So how, how can I be in Christ? The Bible says that if we're in Christ, we become a new creation. Old things pass away all things become new. The Bible says that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ. How do we become in Christ? The Bible says if we call on the name of the Lord, say, I don't want to be the Lord of my baggage anymore. I don't want to be the Lord of my past anymore. I don't want to be the Lord of my guilt anymore. I don't want to be the Lord of my life anymore. Jesus, I want You to have it all. And so today I'm calling on the name of the Lord. I'm embracing Jesus and what He did for me on the cross. And I'm believing and I'm trusting Him to take away the guilt, the sin, the shame that I feel. That doesn't mean that these feelings are going to always just magically, instantaneously disappear. But it does mean that I can know, regardless of how I feel and regardless of the lies of the devil, I know the truth. The truth is what sets us free. You know Him today. You know Him today. I want you to know Him. If you don't know Him today, I want to invite you to find a place in our prayer room right over here and we'll have somebody go in there and pray with you and take the Bible and point you to Jesus. If you don't know Him today, see me after the service. We'll go into my office and I'll take the Bible and I'll point you to Jesus. I can't, I can't make you in Christ, but I can point you to how you can be in Christ. And there's other people in this room that can do the very same thing. Do not leave today. Would you go back to that picture? Do not leave today with all of that stuff in your baggage. I'm just going to have them leave this picture on the screen until we dismiss. Do not leave today. Let all that stuff represent whatever it is you're carrying. Do not leave with all that stuff. And just like last week, I want to ask you, if you know you're carrying some guilt, you know you're carrying some bitterness, you know you're carrying something, I, I want to ask you to be vulnerable with God. Write it down. Say, God, by Your grace, I'm leaving it here. I'm not going to take it home with me. I'm leaving it here. Just like I did last week, take some time this week to pray over every single one of these things. Don't put your name on it. Don't put your initials on it. This is, this is you being open with God and you saying, Pastor, I want you to pray for this particular baggage. 